Welcome, welcome to this live edition of What's Left in Albany. I'm your host, Dan Platt, P-L-A-A-T. I'm here in the studio. So this program talks to organizers, community actors, doing any kind of project, meeting, or event to talk to them about what's really going on, to have a better understanding of our world locally, state, globally, regionally. Uh, to have a better understanding of what's going on so we can change things. Uh, so that's the basic outline of the show and program. I have here again Laura Rose, returning from last week with the Butterfly Garden, but now with a new guest uh, to talk about Toastmasters, uh, which is a new the club that which is not new, not a new organization for sure, but it's uh, we'll talk about uh, how recent it is here in Albany. So. How about you say say hi again, Laura Rose, and reintroduce yourself? Thank you, Dan, for having us here. I am here as a Toastmaster. Toastmasters do not make toast, and we're going to tell you more about that. And also, tell us tell us uh, your titles and uh, your and about uh, sure, so, Dan. So, so Thank, thanks for having here having me here today. My name is Jeff Sobel. I'm a Toastmaster. I've been a member of Toastmasters International since about the 2005 time frame. And I've held a lot of different roles within the organization. Primarily and foremost, I'm a member and have been since that point in time. Uh, Toastmasters focuses on developing people's communication and leadership skills. And I've held a lot of different roles at Toastmasters, including most recently serving on the board of directors for the entire organization. Mm. Uh, why don't you give a breakdown, um, and you don't have to be brief, of uh, the history of Toastmasters International. How was it started? Why? What? How has it evolved over time? Uh, what is its current role and scope and size now? Sure. So Toastmasters had its first start in the early 1900s. A gentleman named Ralph Smedley around 1906 in the basement of a YMCA in the Midwest, started an organization where more senior businessmen would help uh, those who were just getting started in business learn more about what it meant to be a business person. And, commu- and learning how to stand up and communicate in front of a room full of people was a big part of that. Uh, that first step didn't succeed uh, and, and continued to not succeed as he moved from YMCA to YMCA. He worked for the Y. Would you, if I can interrupt. Sure. How, it's, it sounds like at the time, if, it, if we are talking about like the local business community, wouldn't there already be social clubs where they would like, the, whether it's the, the Masons or the Elks or what have you, or uh, Rotary Clubs, wouldn't they be doing that for each other already? Why would they need an accessory award? The real difference between those other organizations and what Toastmasters provides now and was learning how to provide then is the focus on education as opposed to community service, which a lot of those other programs are focused on. 
there is a community service aspect to Toastmasters. It's definitely more focused on helping people grow as communicators and leaders uh, and, and developing more self-confidence and, grow, and, and growth is the actual word. The personal growth aspect of it is a big part of what Toastmasters was then and still is today. So continue the story. He was um, so so developing. he he uh, so this gentleman named Ralph Smedley. I don't know if I mentioned his name. You did. Uh, started to this group in uh, Midwest. I think it was in Illinois, and from there, when he, as soon as he moved on, the the group folded. Mm-hmm. He repeated this process about two or three times until 1924, mm-hmm. which is when Toastmasters by name came to be. And the biggest difference was, in addition to helping people learn how to stand up and speak in front of a room full of people. Mm-hmm. He encouraged in the room, everyone in the room and involved to share their knowledge of how to lead and manage organizations. And that became okay. the critical factor. Yeah, because so it's not just public speaking. It's the purpose of public speaking, which is to organize to yes. someone. The most interesting thing that has come out of all of this is as people go through the education program and develop the ability to stand in front of others and get their ideas across to communicate clearly, concisely, and cogently, they find their own voice. And once people find their own voice, they then move on to sharing their ideas and their opinions with others, sometimes in an ad hoc fashion, other times in a more organized fashion. That's where leadership skills and understanding those concepts really come into play. So it uh, got its footing in the 1920s. Um, how did it develop from there? Did it grow? Uh, did it go up, grow in and out of popularity through the decades, or did it have a steady, did it reach a plateau of some kind? It, it actually tended to grow pretty pretty rapidly earlier on. Mm-hmm. It, it, was, it started in the Anaheim, California area, mm-hmm. and from there uh, it, it progressed eastward and northward. Uh, it became Toastmasters International when, when the first club chartered in Canada. Mm-hmm. And from there, it's gone on around the world. Toastmasters is currently in 148 countries. It has nearly 300,000 members today and about – Say that number again, 100 and... 148 countries around the world. Right, and the number of members. Uh, the exact number that's listed on the website is 270,000 plus. Okay. I believe I read somewhere that it is one of – one of, if not the largest, nonprofit organizations in terms of just square mm. footage of where you can find one in relation to where you are in the world. Oh, okay. So it's the best distributed organization. Yeah. What I love about Toastmasters, one of the things is that even going on vacation, you're likely to find a Toastmasters group very close to you. And so I've had the good fortune of when I've been traveling to find someone in the Toastmaster family and show up at that meeting. The, uh, the authentic um, uh, precursor of Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> Actually knowing, uh, having a social network to do that stuff. Yeah. Um, as I do myself. Uh, at least it does determine where I'm staying and who I'm staying with. So, um, Right. So take us through the history of 20th century. You know, it's a long amount of time. Uh, were there any changes to the formats or is it just oh, a matter of it spreading out and informing? And, uh, cause, you know, let's say the Red Cross is probably larger, but it's more concentrated in certain areas based on need. While Toastmasters is, well, wherever there's any kind of community, there's yeah. probably a community building, uh, need. Yeah. All of the above. Uh, so 
Dr. Ralph Smedley started out as being the, the person who effectively provided all the education guidelines. Mm -hmm. And as the organization grew, there was... What was his background? Oh, goodness. I'm drawing a blank at this very moment. So you introduced him. He had he was a doctor, right? Or yeah, he. Like, I don't know whether the, I don't know whether that's an honor. When you're a doctor in 1900, you know that's right. It has a different meaning than a doctor today. Mm -hmm. The 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 uh, my understanding is he did eventually earn a degree in that fashion, but I'd have to look up the exact details. He was a, a smart dude. Yeah, he was actually he actually was a very smart person. Um, well, yeah, let's see, let's see, he was widely educated, right. lived in the uh, Chicago area what have, or something like right. that. Right, and, and he settled in California, and, and he became the driving force behind the organization, uh, such that uh, he would decide what the education program was. It took about a decade or so for it to grow far enough where it needed to be replicated without his direct input, and that's where the original education program manuals came from they were they were mm -hmm. printed materials which look very different than they were today so the, the, the education program has evolved tremendously over time okay to be more reflective of the times and as the organization grew the needs of its members mm -hmm. uh, about 10 years ago give or take there was a movement uh, from uh, printed materials in the last 10 years yeah okay from the last 10 years from printed materials to uh, Digital. Uh, uh, yeah, electronic coursework. It's based off of a learning management system online, and, mm -hmm. and the, the education program was updated so that it would be more accessible to many around the world. But of course, the, those that don't have uh, uh, internet as well as others, other parts have their own challenges. But in general, it's made it more available and more accessible to the, the next generation. Mm -hmm. Um. My follow-up question was, uh, is there anything written anecdotally or otherwise of what his original motive or inspiration was? Yeah, he actually has a series of four books that, that mm -hmm. he wrote. Yeah, actually, he's written on four. That makes sense. Yeah, which you know, it document his thoughts from, from day one onward. And it really was uh, to be of a service to the business, the upcoming business leaders in this community. Mm -hmm. and that's what drove this. Uh, over time, as others got involved, there was a recognition that the is there a story where he was trying to he was interacting with business leaders and found that they since they weren't usually unless because usually you know say a shopkeeper who's up and coming is not the same as someone who most people were not educated yeah. at all so there probably wasn't writing or reading there could no, be reading no, skills was, but it, not writing skills and learning how to write thus learning how to think out loud to it know, was, speak I think it was really geared more towards those who already had. You know, an education, an education, but needed to refine it so they could represent themselves well or their business as well. Yeah, because it hasn't. Um, it's a it's a conversation for later that it's solely underrepresented in all education then and now. Um, oh, very much so. Yeah. Public speaking, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and that's the, I think where Toastmasters' real niche is 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 helping to fill the gap where even even be. For those who are of school age, there are programs that are geared to helping mm -hmm. uh, those. Uh, that is there kind of a youth version of the curriculum? Yeah. I, I can speak to that. Oh, my, yeah, go ahead, Laura. Go ahead. Part of a Toastmaster club, which is for members 18 and older, once a club is established, they can have a youth program offer it. Everyone in Toastmasters up until international director are volunteers. 
there was what one paid position or just a few on the management end, but pretty mm-hmm. much the one thousand seven hundred were all volunteers. I can't imagine it's a huge amount. Volunteers. Of, I can't imagine it's a huge amount of administrative work, um, except just the. It's a very low input kind of uh, organizing. But for the, a youth, or is it? Well, for a youth program, I'll finish on that. We are able to present that. There's a manual information where we would follow. So any Toastmasters anywhere can pick up the information of an established educational program mm-hmm. and follow it so that we can then extend it and offer it to, to youth. And that's something hopefully we'll be doing right here in the South End. Why don't we go through, um, well, how about your own personal history with the organization since you've had so many hats? But you can, then here you can condense it, I suppose. But, uh, and then we can ask Laura the same question. So a lot of folks come to Toastmasters because they have a specific need. They need to deliver a toast at a wedding or they know they're terrible at presenting and they've yeah. got a presentation at work. So they come with a specific need. It's like cramming for a test though. Yeah, exactly. Case. So it's like they maybe take a few, they attend a few times and then it's like, okay, I delivered I my what, speech. Yeah, I'm done. Poorly even. Uh, in fact, at the last wedding I went to, the, I, I won't get into it. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's even unnamed. Uh, it was, it was quite a terrible, uh, wedding. Uh, you're absolutely right. That's that's usually Follow one of the, the drives. speech because he, he spent ten minutes talking about writing the speech, yeah, and then ten. Another, he spent a half an hour, by the way, and then another ten minutes where I was sort of phasing out of reality, and then he, I think he finally started talking about the bride and groom. Right. Uh, that's that's actually pretty common. Uh, we, I've seen a lot of folks. I've worked with a lot of folks that have come to Toastmasters because they had an urgent need. I'm delivering a speech next week, yeah. or if they're planning ahead a and month. I realize I'm completely unprepared. My, right. my life so far has not prepared me for this yep. part of being part of society. So unlike these people, I actually had a, a performance background. I was a musician since I was a kid, mm-hmm. and I was actually a music major in college before I decided I needed to eat after I graduated. So uh, I understood what it was like to be a performer, and mm-hmm. I've actually been a professional uh, trainer, technical trainer. So standing in front of a room full of people didn't really bother me, and I, wasn't, uh, I didn't have the same challenge of putting my thoughts together as others did. Uh, what I found from Toastmasters, after I, I joined it because my company started a club and it sounded like a fun thing to do. Mm-hmm. But what I found was, even for somebody who has experience, that there are a lot of tricks you can th- throw into your tool, into your bag. Yeah, tool tool, tool yeah, you, yeah. tools into your toolbox, whichever analogy you choose to use. All of them are valid. Uh, I've seen other professional speakers go through the Toastmasters program as a way to. Uh, strengthen their foundation, and at the same time, develop skills that will help them run their own business as they get through it. Uh, mm-hmm. There are other organizations that help with the professional end of public speaking. Toastmasters was really geared towards uh, helping people get started or, or work on the, the, found, the fundamentals or advanced skills of being a communicator and being a leader in an organization. So for me, it started out as something fun to do. And what I realized afterwards was I loved the mental gymnastics that went along with it mm-hmm. and the, the growth that came there. It was about a year or so afterwards that somebody tapped me on the shoulder and encouraged me to become a leader outside my club. I've been a leader in my club since day one, which is usually a group of somewhere between 15 and 35 people. Uh, 
It sounds fairly large, actually. I was thinking more like a dozen. No, a, a, a good-sized club is usually somewhere between 20 and 40 people. And they're all active at the same time? Yeah. Usually you'll find, you know, half to two-thirds of the members of the club will be active at any one time. We, mm-hmm. Laura can talk about how a meeting runs and how many people yeah, we'll take to, yeah. But uh, I was, I became enamored with what Toastmasters provided. But what was even more interesting was as I moved further along in leadership, I got to meet more people who had more advanced knowledge and practice in how to be a leader. And they gave me books to read outside the Toastmasters curriculum and guidance on how to be a leader in a higher level, more complex situation. Because the two things are highly meshed together in this context. Do you think that's particular to Toastmasters as an org, or is it something that you take as as a given that public speaking, communicating, and leadership are... Actually, yeah, I've actually covered this myself uh, with a little Binghamton college, uh, University kind of did a little social study that uh, people follow, the people who talk the most, even if they... Isn't that interesting? ...speaking other, but... Or, or as long as they did speak the most, because um, that gives some kind of confidence of, of they know what they're talking about, or at least it's attention that you know they have the most airtime, so to speak, in someone's mind. They're thinking about them more. Yeah, it's a very interesting thought that people will follow people that talk the most. I, uh, my personal experience with leaders in general, whether it be a manager of an organization or a visionary, inspirational leader is thought leader. thought leader sure i've worked for folks that are that are high level managers but are, are far from inspirational leaders they are not necessarily people that know how to demonstrate a, a just cause for example that folks will rally around or be able to share their vision for where the organization could or should be going mm-hmm. i would be working for those people because i have a paycheck coming to me as opposed to uh, a, a a more visionary leader that inspires me to take up their cause and do what they do to make the world a better place. Whether it be for a profit business or a not-for-profit business, those people exist. And that's the type of skills that I see folks developing through their Toastmasters experience, how to be that type of a a leader that that can help shape communities. I can tell stories about people I know that have been able to do that because of their their skills that they've learned in Toastmasters. It really is directly transferable to all sorts of aspects of life. Save that for extra innings, um, or if we have extra time. Laura, how did you come to join the Toastmasters Club, and and, uh, what's your history with the organization, or at least the local club? And then I'll cut back to you, Jeff, on its local history. I've been a member of Toastmasters since 2011, but my... Toastmasters history goes back all the way to high school. Now, I'm Generation X, which is born between 1965 and 1980. And when I was in high school, there was a television show, a a television show within our school at at Albany High. I'm a a local South End resident. Mm -hmm. And no one really stepped up to do the television. A lot of the people were in the behind the scenes or behind the camera. And I wasn't. Wait, Al- Albany High at the time in the 80s. No, no, I'm 90s in the 90s. Oh, in the 90s. Yeah. Had a budding television show. 
I took a liking to it, and it was called Ozcom. public access? No, or? no, it was only for basically homeroom. Someone had to be on camera to talk oh, about oh, okay. right, yeah. right within You're just talking about Albany the, High. the PA system in Albany High. You got it. Okay. Then. So right within Albany High during, during homeroom, yes. there would be announcements. Sometimes people do it on the radio, but for our school, we would do it right on the television screen. The homeroom teachers would turn on the TV, and somebody needed to show up. Well, I decided to be that face. It was really strange because I was one of the most known people in high school by my voice and by my face, but nobody actually knew me. So I was really popular in high school, but yet I didn't really hang out with any group. It was wonderful because yeah. I had diversity through you all the You had fame, groups. but no friends, <laughs> is what you're telling I, me. I had my friends, but it was nice because all the cliques accepted me. And I was hooked on that because what other job, what other position can you have where people, it's, it's almost like friend, uh, cheers walking in and everyone goes, hey. Well, that's the power of mass media, certainly. And I got a little taste of that when I was in high school. From... I think referencing Cheers is also a sign that you're a Gen X. <laughs> no, I didn't watch Cheers. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't know that, but I, I've learned about it now. As a kid, I couldn't understand why a show where people are just... All, all I could see was that people were drinking, because I was five. Mm. So it's like, well, they're just drinking at a bar. Why, why is this entertaining to anyone? Anyway, go on. So from being the homeroom face every day, say the news, there was also an organization, a young uh, youth business organization. The name is escaping me right now. I'm sure it was hokey. Uh, but it was an organization where local business people would come in and do a class after school. It was a club mm -hmm. and teach us about business. I. It's not the key club. No, not the key club. Yeah. It's a very large organization, and I will give honor them when I can think of the name, but it's a business youth organization, and that really set me towards not only loving the art of speech, mm -hmm. but understanding that you could, it was power, power to be able to sell things, to, to communicate in terms of presenting what you what your thoughts are. And I ended up becoming young businesswoman of the year of New York state in high school because I without used Without owning a business, without owning a business, but I was able to sell. It's you, kind of like Girl you Scouts. Had, you had the, the presentation, the effect of being a business leader. That's, mm -hmm. that's funny yeah. how much, well, I mean, to me being the, the um, introverted cynic, is like, well, that just shows how fake everything is because it's like you just have to sell and have the presentation and the image of a successful business person. They say you're a business person a year. Well, nowadays we yeah. have people famous for being famous. So well, it was the I, I predecessor. Like, yeah, there's been, there's been, I feel like as long as mass communication has been around, there's been figures like that as well. But for me, it was more about being able to communicate. I used to watch the, our local news channels because you know, we didn't have we so them. much, and but we had news channels, and I listened to their articulation, and I was fascinated with their voices because they didn't sound like the people around us, the way that we naturally and casually speak to our friends and our our relatives. Their their speech was formal, the speech was clear, and it was beautiful to me. It was, it was like music. And so I would actually study Tom Brokoff. I mean, it's called, it literally, it's called like Atlantic. Mm -hmm. um, it was a nondescript accent. 
Well, it's it's the accent of New York mass media. So it's called like the Atlantic. Standard yeah, there was actually from what from what my studies of that particular accent, I believe it was kind of a combination of East Coast and a little bit of Midwest thrown into it. Sure. Yeah. Because those markets would intersect a lot. Yeah. Or people in New York would be recruited from Midwest. There you go. There you go. So after high school, with this as something in my pocket, I ended up going to college and starting a college television station there. From that, from scratch or that from scratch, hmm. I started a college television station where I became the face of that school. But which uh, university was it? That was Hartwick College for Hartwick. undergraduate. From there, every weekend I got the most fascinating job. This was nine. This was early two thousands. The world was incredible. The internet was just on the cusp, and my job on weekends would be to get on a bus to drive to New York City. And be the, we'll say the coffee girl of the New York version of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. So every weekend I would be donning a ball gown or I would be in a cocktail dress and I would going, be going to the most amazing parties, the c- celebrities I, I've met. But your title was still like show PA intern or something. So at some point a lot of people quit and the, my, my reporter, who, who's famous in his own right, okay. he basically shoved the camera in my arms and said, here, you do this. And I've watched it enough times. I pushed the button. I figured it out. And then we got back to the production studio, and his production uh, person disappeared. He said, you've been watching this. You know how to do it. And he was on a deadline. Oh, of course, of course. And here I am, 17 years old, 18, not even 18 years old, and I became the producer of a of New York One television, New York version of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And I kept going. I mean, why would I just want to go back to – I was in college. I was a freshman in college. Uh-huh. But my life was half in New York City, so I had a foot in both places. And it was an incredible world to be because I got to not only – see a world so unlike the South End, so unlike Albany, but I got to see what was great, what I could bring back. And that was my caveat for the rest of my career. So going forward to Toastmasters now, I've been with Toastmasters as as an adult member since 2011. Mm -hmm. And I've held position of president. I've helped start a few clubs. And to me, Toastmasters. So, how has, long has there been an Albany club? We we have Uncle Sam's, right? The Uncle Sam in Troy is the oldest club we have right now, and it's better than sixty years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, can can you run me through the history of of the clubs in the region, or at least the Tri City area, and when they started? But best of your knowledge, and how many there are? Yeah, there are approximately sixty clubs in the. Uh, Albany, Albany and surrounding areas. So pretty much every municipality has. One. Yeah, and this this goes all the way up to the Canadian border. Mm-hmm. Uh, that club actually moved to a district, different district, but in the in the capital district area, we we have clubs that service as far north as uh, nearly Fort Edward, mm-hmm. and and as far south we go. We actually go all the way down to the to the city. But we. Well, how old is Albany's? 
uh, how big? The, the, oh, the old, those, so those the old, for Albany. the oldest club in Albany is is Uncle Sam Toastmasters. They've been around. When you say Uncle Sam, I'm thinking Troy. No, no, it, right? No, this is at, there's a club called Uncle Sam Toastmasters. Okay. And uh, shout out to all my friends and Uncle Sam. I'm not a member of them, but I know mm-hmm. a lot of them well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've they've been the uh, uh, serving the area for over sixty years. So you would say that that they are the Albany chapter? I know that they are the oldest chapter in Albany right now. That doesn't necessarily mean they're the first. How many others are there? Well, I, there's actually about seven to eight within a within a fifteen, I'm sorry, twenty mile radius of here. If you go on Toastmasters.org, you just type in your zip code, and that's how you find them. But the, there's you should know that different clubs do are have different cultures, but also there's different types of clubs. We have community clubs mm-hmm. and we have, we'll say business corporate, corporate clubs. What is that what the wording is? Yeah, what? Yeah. Corporate, not business. So there's okay. clubs that are created within organizations, within businesses that's solely for mm, their like own there's, employees. There's, yeah, there's, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're like a sub mm-hmm. club. Okay. And then there's community clubs, which is the Bethlehem club. For the, the ones I would care about. Mm-hmm. And the newest one will be the Fireside Club of Toastmasters, which is going to be right below Lark Street, right above the Empire State Plaza building, which will have its own set of communities. So even though... Can you just call it the Center Square? It's uh, in Center Square, but we're going to call it Fireside because of the location. It's actually near a beautiful fireplace, and it's very casual. So we're not a corporate club. We're a community club. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. Those, well, those, those two flavor clubs do serve very distinct and different purposes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, oftentimes, corporate clubs become part of a, a company's uh, education offerings. So they offer education and training, and this becomes another avenue to them. Uh, you see a lot of those. Uh, they will often come into existence very quickly, but also... If, they if can fizzle out quickly. They can fizzle out. If the company decides, yeah, we don't want to have this program anymore, they'll, the club can just... Our middle managers are getting a little too... Uh, what was that? Um, uppity. Yeah. They're speaking their mind a little it's, too it's much. It's funny because in I've been members of corporate clubs and I've helped a lot of them get started. Uh, oftentimes it gets supported by middle and upper management, but the members of most of these clubs are rank-and-file employees. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the community clubs really, for me, like like Laura's saying, is, is where uh, I, I think the heart and soul of long-term Toastmasters often come from Mm -hmm. they usually take a little longer to gather um, uh, steam but they last a lot longer and they serve the community for many many years Uh, the club that laura and i belong to bethlehem toastmasters which is out of delmar has been in existence for uh about about 20 years now and Mm -hmm. we've we've helped a lot of people uh, grow their skills not just from delmar and bethlehem area but from all across the capital district it's recognized as one of the better clubs and folks come flocking to us. So so you could say there's a Saratoga club, but there, there'll be people in Saratoga that come to the Delmar one. There are. There's both. Because as Laura said, every club has its own culture. Mm-hmm. And what may be something that we like, there might not be what everybody Okay, so why don't, why don't we uh, go into, so then that's something to explore. What are the kinds of different cultural differences? Is it just the population or the specific identity of the membership? Or, or class, or is it that uh, the taste of what kind of? Uh, well, I suppose I, I suppose the first question then is, what is the general basic program of a Toastmasters club? Then we can explore the different ways, the variations. No matter where you go in the world, 
the itinerary agenda of a Toastmasters club is literally the same. It starts the same way. It pretty much ends sounds the same Eurocent- way. Sounds Eurocentric, though. And, and everything in the middle. It start, The entire agenda starts at a, a time and ends at a time. It's usually about some clubs are an hour. Some club, clubs are an hour or two, two hours. The usual meeting length, sure. And during that time, there are several roles. There are roles that people sign up ahead of time, such as grammarian, aha, counter. Aha means when we speak, we call those verbal fillers. Well, we'll go into that, but I'll, I'll give you the gist of the layout of, mm-hmm. of a meeting. Yeah, yeah. So you walk into a meeting as a guest, and all guests can participate by telling us a little bit about themselves, but also to be part of something called table topics. Before we do that, we start out with the president speaking who invites the Toastmaster, the Toastmaster of the club for the day, for the meeting of the day. It rotates. Is the person who sets the tone and the, the thoughts for the meeting and uh, follows the procedure of the agenda. Yeah, a chair, a master ceremony. Yeah, you got it. MC is a good word for it, yes. Yeah. During that time, we have planned speeches. Planned speeches are ones that people have written ahead of time on their educational path. Jeff right. can talk more about the different directions of where what you can get out of this. But they act as assignments, and so mm-hmm. it's like doing a little homework mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, giving a presentation. Everyone's working on a different project from the education program, and their prepared speech will be based on the goals of that specific project. Mm-hmm. Like, say, it's for a wedding, or it's for a presentation at work, or... Well, uh, actually, it gets more basic than that. Some of the earlier ones are... Get up and introduce yourself to the to the other members of the club sure. and prove to yourself that you won't die by speaking to four to six minutes. Mm-hmm. They talk about they help you develop skills in using your voice in a way that supports your message, how to use your body in a way that supports your message, and it moves all the way on up through lead a project outside of the the group. Come yeah. back and this is something. Um, when I um the Bell Hooks uh, book that I own is a. Uh, teaching to transgress and the chapter that stuck out that I remember is where she talks about how it's like when she's kind of critiquing the uh, person standing behind the left turn. It's just like, Oh, that's just saying the mind is the only thing that matters when really we're also bodies. And when you're speaking and teaching, you should be using your body as well as just your head and your mouth. Speaking and being able to give a speech is one aspect of it, but being able to give constructive Feedback and evaluation is another part of it, and that is something that's built in to our program. So when a person speaks, there be there's someone who is spending special time listening, and at a certain point in the meeting will stand up themselves and give an evaluation. So the speaker just one person. It's not like a critique board, a crit board, no. like a, an architecture school. So the person who's speaking mm-hmm. not only gets the benefit of practicing their own speech, yeah. but they get the benefit of listening to evalu- an evaluation. And, else, yes. and that evaluator gets the benefit of learning to give constructive criticism in a very specific manner where it's receptive, it's it's clear, and welcome information. Yeah, that's, that's a great teaching tool in whatever genre or topic or, or subject right mm-hmm. whether it's math social studies science you have to be able to do and to react 
and that's you know it's basic and, liberal arts. And the yeah, the other big piece of that peer evaluation method is not only learning how to deliver feedback in a way that's that's more readily acceptable, but mm. on the receiving end, learning how to receive, receive feedback it, yeah. gracefully and, and act on it appropriately. I did not learn that skill uh, until the first year of architecture school. Mm. Getting over like you know, it's temp temper having a temper, snapping at people when I disagreed, or they you know, because I always accepted um, feedback as being unconstructive, negative, an attack. And uh, it wasn't until that particular context where it was truly a safe environment that you can be critiqued and you're safe in doing it. It's not an attack. It's not harming you. It's not something you need to take personally because in other contexts, to lose face, to have someone diss you, to, to critique you is, is to literally, in certain contexts, put you at risk. There's a part called table topics. This is time where we offer anyone who hasn't had a specific role or a specific speech mm -hmm. the opportunity to mic. speak for one to two minutes mm -hmm. on a topic that is presented by the table topics master who comes up with the idea usually ahead of time. And this is a time for impromptu speech. So guests are welcome. Any member comes up and is given a prompt and gets to speak about it. Now, the benefit of table topics is this is life. In life, you don't know what's going to come up for the most part. And in social circles, in speaking to people at work, it's being able to, in a moment's notice, speak about a topic. And most of us at the idea of that, it's... Uh, Frightening. Absolutely. And in, in, in Occupy, this is your your description reminds me of how Occupy, there was kind of a mass version of this. It wasn't so personable as a peer critique and response because it was a proposal that anyone was speaking about. But we also had a soapbox time where anyone could come and basically be the public speaker to an assembly of hundreds of people. And having the people's mic, meaning that when you were speaking, everybody was repeating what you were saying, was also pretty empowering in one way. And it was a way of covering anyone's anxieties. Cause it's like, it's not just me saying it, everyone is saying it so that everyone can hear it. If you're aware of the people's mic, we weren't allowed to use microphones or any amplification. So we simply had a group of like a, a Greek chorus, uh, 30 people at least repeating what one person said. So it was louder. Um, it would ring out if it was a crowd of a thousand. Um, in which case it took a very long time to get a sentence out. And we also had to like, but it also meant you spoke in shorter chunks. So you could think about the next few words you're going to say. So people weren't really tripping over themselves. So it was kind of a teaching tool, very unorthodox compared to your description and any other public speaking class. But a lot of people found their voice, quote unquote, to be able to speak publicly in front of a large crowd because we were all kind of there on the same purpose. And when there was critique, it was about proposals or politics or hmm. what we thought of the world and not just, you know, it wasn't, it was depersonalized. So it was, nothing could ever be a personal attack, even though there's, of course, those misgivings at times. In, in that case, with people speaking, they can go on and on and on and on. In, Is there a timekeeper uh, role? That's to right. Cut people off. And by speaking, one actually begins to evaluate themselves on time. I know when I give a table topics and even a 
pre, a pre-made speech, I find myself within five seconds to 10 seconds of my cutoff naturally, because the more you speak, the more you become aware that we all, we already know of that if you're at a, if you're at a party and an event and someone's talking, there's, there's a mental note in your head says that's too long. It's time to stop. And most any people don't as really to why have people, that. <laughs> right. Any theories as to why they don't? Is it a lack of practice of, of these, of, is like a meta skill? of knowing when is the right amount of communication or because there are people that go their whole lives over talking or not knowing when to stop or because they never feel like anyone's really listening. Well, we do that. We have set times for set projects and through table topics, even for each of the roles, everyone has a time frame, and this teaches us to be able to get our point across in a certain amount of time that's pre-described and it's the right amount of time. Meaning that if you can't, you know, you have a beginning of a story, a middle of a story, an end of a story, it makes you, th the thinking process of speaking is something that is a skill. And that's what Toastmasters teaches. Mm -hmm. It's it's not only teaching you the methodologies, but it's giving you the nurturing space to try it out, to hone your skill, to work with what you have. Even mm -hmm. if you start out as a stutterer, we've had lots of people who've come in and that's their baseline. They did their icebreakers, and that's what's awesome. In four to six minutes, they spoke with all the stuttering, with all whatever they came in with. We have people mm -hmm. with English as a second language. We have people who who have different capacities. Wherever you start, you you've achieved just by speaking. Oh, I want to ask: the Toastmasters are all over the globe. They're in the native languages of the group that starts them. English is the common language of the organization. Mm -hmm. so, yes, however, I say that, but yes, if you go to other countries and other parts of the world, you will find clubs that speak their native language. You'll find uh, clubs that are bilingual or trilingual in nature mm. to accommodate, again, whatever the community is that they're trying to So serve. my question then goes to how often are the clubs formed as a bridge for people who are looking to engage with the Anglophone world in the same way that, you know, like when, when someone's learning a second language, whether it's China, Japan, Germany, they're learning English. Yeah. Because Anglo, you know, English being so common and dominant. Yeah. I, I can tell you, uh, that right now I'm in the early stages of helping one of the local Chinese communities get involved with Toastmasters to, and there may be a bilingual club that comes out of the conversations we're having with that. We're already mm -hmm. looking at a youth leadership program for uh, the children from a bunch of folks in this in that community that are very interested. Uh, I, I know numerous folks in uh, India, China, and other parts of the world where Toastmasters is very attractive to uh, especially younger folks who are learning to hone their skills in English or, or even in, in their own language for the business aspect of it so that they can get a foot in the door. I have to wonder if we uh, should really have more of, uh, or how much there is of the reverse of language clubs. I think in the past, like, you know, Albany used to have a lot of German clubs, but yeah. they all disbanded uh, in the interwar years for sure. impressive for reasons. Ob obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah, for obvious reasons. The windows were getting smashed in or would have been or fear of it. English as the common language, one can take Toastmasters outside of the Toastmasters club. It counts on how far you want to go with it. So, yeah, so the question of um, 
kind of sounds, or at least the first impression that I've always had is that it's for formal settings. You know, it's toasts, giving a toast, giving a speech at a wedding, uh, or, or such a function. Uh, but how? Uh, what's its utility outside of the formal settings? Can I talk a little bit to that? Please do. Sure. So for me, the biggest gains have not necessarily been standing up in front of a room full of, of 500 people and delivering a speech. Right. I've done that, I, and I can do that, and I gained, I got better at it through Toastmasters. Where my biggest growth has been is in one-to-one communication talking with my wife or my kids in a different way, being able to lead a small organization in my community and have conversations to help people grow in one way, shape, or form themselves. Uh, it's, that, to me, is where the largest value is. There's, there's a human aspect to it, as well as just speaking in front of a large group, but learning how to really pay attention, actively listen to somebody else, to learn how to listen to hear rather than listen to think about what you're going to say in response, but really absorb where people are coming from, so that when you do respond, it's it's talking to them at a different level than just giving them your answer, but really understanding where they're coming from, demonstrate greater empathy. So to me, there's a, there's a very human quality that comes from what I've gotten from the Toastmasters program. Sure. I mean, how, how much interpersonal um, problems come from communication, even when you're family? you get these miscommunication problems. I've used Toastmasters to help me make contracts to be able to complain about a product, to be able to speak my way through a crisis or an uncomfortable situation, even to protect my personal being from people who uh, came up to me or strangers that uh, had less than, than good intentions to talk my way into a safer system, a solution. Or, t- or take your way out, talk your way out of a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the last section here, I want to get into my, uh, let's say, a structural comment that a lot of the civil society orgs, they're so long and they're long-lasting and uh, and they're still around and kicking because they seem to fill a they backhoe a need problem that society doesn't like these, these these sound like essential skills for being a citizen being a productive member of society if you want to phrase it that way or just being a well-rounded human why is this you can pontificate about why we think it's not in the general curriculum of public and private schooling let's say uh, maybe private schools do it but public schools certainly don't it's in my experience it's always been an afterthought you kind of got your experience because you had a particular niche role in, at albany high I got my start at Albany High through debate team. I only did two meets, but even just doing two taught me how to write an argument and practice delivering it. Uh, and I did practice more than I, when I actually said it, it was actually like, because it's not a crowd, you're just talking to one, like the judge. And that was kind of a letdown, actually. Kind of like I was doing all this preparing and I'm really just talking to one person. My drive was to talk to more, like, Anyway, so um, so I only did the two meets, um, and they were away meets, and and it was also a matter of like I thought I was gonna click with the guys, the other nerds that did the bait team, but like totally different niches of nerd. They were the Magic the Gathering click, and I wasn't dropping hundreds of dollars on cards. So, but what has there been any effort from Toastmasters International 
to encourage, to influence, to lobby for a change in public school curriculums to have more public speaking education, to in integrate even your curriculum to some level. Because um, just, just to punt, um, rant a little longer, whether it's public speaking, an oral presentation is so minor in, in, the, in the high school or middle school career, it's just not required very much. It's not a particular assignment. If it is, it's like a choice. Oh, you can do your assignment this way, or you can make an oral presentation. Or it's a niche where it's an extracurricular activity like yours, mine, and anyone else's. Even this is an extracurricular as far as, mm -hmm. I mean, it isn't when maybe a corporate retreat or a corporate um, entity puts it part of their training. But that's not the baseline or the norm at all no it's still actually even extracurricular in most corporations it's a it's a, an extra benefit that's provided mm -hmm. it's, it's rarely perceived as you must go to toastmasters in fact i can i can tell you that instances where i've seen companies try to do that it fails miserably because mm -hmm. a program like this seems to work better when people are motivated to do so for personal reasons do you, do you think that does that thinking that you can't uh, for, force it apply to high school students that they can't be forced. I mean, it's not part of, if it was part of a final exam, I think the, the motivated students would be motivated to do it um, and learn more public speaking than they usually get. It seems to be a bit more these days. I have children that are school age and public speaking is sometimes a after school program or what they call an enrichment program. Mm -hmm. It's something that, exists. I'd say that it's being incorporated more and more, especially since we live in a world of selfies and people with cameras in front of their and faces and knowing that a mistake that one could make when, when we were kids, if we made a mistake, it wasn't necessarily anyone videotaping it. Yeah. It would disappear in a matter of a few minutes as, a, as opposed to being preserved uh, forever on, mm. on, one of the various services. Well, that's why certain apps, uh, like, uh, what was it? It doesn't, escapes me because it's not, it Twitter? Wasn't, no, not Twitter. Because Twitter is, limits you, so it's part of the skill of limiting your communication. But, but there was the type of app where the, whatever media you made was only there for a day. Oh, goodness. Instagram. Yeah. Snapchat. That do that. Snapchat. Snapchat. Yeah. Yes. That was very popular among teens, particularly for that reason. And that's the world that we're in now. So the skill of being able, when I was a kid, my mother told me very early on, and it was one of the greatest lessons, she said, never do anything that you would be embarrassed to see it on the cover of the headlines tomorrow morning. And that's something I took with me. But today it's hard because kids make mistakes. Things happen. The, the world isn't perfect. And now things can be captured and misinterpreted. And what better skill to be able to teach a youth right now to be able to use language, to do things appropriately, to understand how communication works so that, you know, in a situation, yeah. they, they make the right choices. The alternative is to clam down, be soft-spoken, be the quiet child forever. Um, or the quiet citizen, you know, keep your head down or the, the nail that stands up is the yeah. one that gets hammered. And, and um, unfortunately, there may be those who have chosen that route that really have something to say or something to contribute. Mm. And because they've been 
trained. Trained. Like, that's the word trained. I'm looking for. To to not make waves. Their grand idea might never see the light of day, and the world may be less of a place because of that. So I I would rather see everyone learn how to share their thoughts in a pro- positive, productive fashion, so that we can benefit from it. So my question may not have had an answer. Is there has there been any effort to push a yeah. more public speaking in uh, educational curriculum? So I can talk to you from the organization standpoint because that's what I'm asking about. Yeah, you know, officially. And then you can give me an official answer if you want. Yeah, the, the official answer is we, we have programs that are promoted by our volunteer leaders to uh, help students that basically want it or help organizations that want to promote youth communication and youth leadership develop those skills. I, I know of no effort that's been made to formally bring it to education organizations. Toastmasters has been a standalone or a not-for-profit education organization that's only ever sought partnership with Rotary, or believe it or not, uh, not mm-hmm. with any other organizations at this point in time. I is think there there's an opportunity there a structural or is it more ideological reason for that limit? I can't answer that question. Well, yeah. Now that it's online, it's opening itself up to people who had a voice but just ne- didn't necessarily follow the old manual style, we call it the, the legacy, where we had manuals of paper. But now mm-hmm. that it's open on the Internet, we open up to whole new generations and a lot of people who weren't considering it before or didn't know. So this is the opportunity. Pathways is an incredible program. It has eight is that right? Eight different paths. There are eleven. Eleven paths. Well, by pathways, you mean the curriculum. Yeah, pathways mm-hmm. is the is the online education program that we have currently. Mm. Uh, when somebody joins, you can do it on your own, or is it meant to be a shared uh, group experience that you're Zoom calling? It's self paced. It's, it's a little bit of both, actually. The Hybrid. Pro- yeah. You know, the, the projects are typically work that you do on your own. But you work with the support of other members of your club that mentor and guide you along the way. Through the different paths, you get to choose what you want to focus in on yourself. All the paths work on the language, like Jeff had said, and some basics about public speaking. But then you find little niches of where you want to go. There's even a humor track. There's... Jeff, what are some of the tracks? Well, I I know that I've completed paths in effective coaching, Mm -hmm. strategic relationships. uh, There's paths for visionary leadership uh, and even just presentation. Being a thought leader. Yeah, it it covers a lot of different aspects. It reminds me how um, a friend of mine and a bunch of other mostly men in the uh, Albany area have turned towards stand-up comedy as a way of learning public speaking, getting out in front of people to speak. Some of them see it as an exercise in writing because they want to be writers of some type, but they also want to be able to perform it maybe, or they um, you know, they just want to be less anxious. Sometimes it gets kind of awkward mm-hmm. because it, you, you don't have – your feedback is the audience reactions. It's not so much the one-on-one buddy system. It's a sort of more nebulous So, because I, I could – you know, when I went to one open mic, I was like very unimpressed. I'm like, I know they're trying, but they're not very funny. It's like they're they're trying to copy comics they like, or something like that. But it's not their own voice. It's not them. Humor is a, a very difficult craft to master, and, and plugging into the right people and learning the right technique can be helpful. But even if you know how to do it, 
intellectually, it doesn't mean you're going to be funny. I think what I what I found unfunny was that they were all kind of all the material was the self deprecating type mm-hmm. because they mm-hmm. they're trying to make themselves comfortable. But it's like, well, I'm going to say how bad I am, and then what a loser I am, or whatever. And that way, you won't you know, like you know. Take it. Well, but, humor uh, is also about is all about the timing, and with Toastmasters, that's part of it. So you can so adjust anyway, humor sorry, sorry, into sorry. it. So why don't you wrap up with how to get in contact with you in general? One minute. Sure. The, the best way to find a club that's near you or convenient to you is go to www.toastmasters.org. There's a link at the top of the page that says find a club and it has great search features. T- check out the clubs that are near you. All of them will have contact information. Uh, I do recommend checking out Bethlehem Toastmasters. You can Google that directly. That's the club that both Laura and I belong to today. And as mo- as Laura proceeds with developing Fireside Toastmasters, that'll be another great club to look for when it comes to be. How long do you expect uh, it will take before that's public? Hopefully by the end of the year, right down here in the south, the south end. South end and center square. And center square. Okay, so this has been What's Left in Albany. I've been your host, Dan Platt. Thank you for joining us. Contact the um, Facebook page, Three Left Show, What's Left in Albany. Uh, you can find me on Macedon, Instagram, and email, Three Lefts Show at Gmail. Thank you very much, and have a good one. Yeah.